Here podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton, flying solo today because Pat is on a much-needed vacation. But don't worry, I've got you covered. I will recap this past week of baseball action before we look to the future and the exciting series to watch next week. You could say that it was a pretty interesting week of baseball, quite literally a week where we saw things that have never happened before. Two no-hitters were thrown since this last episode was released Friday morning. You don't get to say that very often. So thank you to everyone who tuned in to our debut episode of Weekly Walk-Off last Friday. Pat and I released a really fun baseball episode this past week on Did You Hear, uh, setting the tone, MLB standouts. We highlighted a bunch of under-the-radar players who have been killing it so far. And then starting last week, now every Friday, we're going to post an episode called Weekly Walk-Off, where we will walk off the week for you, recapping the week in baseball. So I'm going to focus a lot on Carlos Rodon's no-hitter that he threw on April 14th, Wednesday night. I'll mention Joe Musgrove, who threw his first no-hitter, also the first no-hitters in Padres organization history on April 9th. That was a Friday night. But what I really want to focus on is the stories behind some of these players. I will highlight three players, Carlos Rodon, Zach Collins, the catcher who caught Rodon's no-hitter, and Corbin Burns, one of the best pitchers in the league right now. What I really want to focus on is their their journey. Their, these are comeback players. They might not win comeback players of the year, but these guys who a couple of years ago were completely written off, didn't think they would be able to even come back to baseball or compete in any sort of way, and these three guys have been dominating the headlines. So let's get right into it with Rodon. He threw his first no-hitter, 20th no-hitter in Chicago White Sox history on Wednesday night. The White Sox beat the Indians 8-0. The White Sox offense exploded for six runs in the first So Rodon got some early insurance, which is always helpful for a pitcher. It was five days after Joe Musgrove's no-hitter, which is just insane. And the craziest thing of all is that Rodon was quite literally an inch away from a perfect game because with one out in the ninth, he was two outs away from a perfect game, and he pegged Roberto Perez in the toe. I was distraught when it happened. The play before... Jose Abreu put his body on the line, made an incredible play over at first base to get the out. And then the next pitch, or the next at bat, Rodon pegs the guy. I thought I would be thinking about that, but as soon as Rodon got the no-hitter, I completely went out of my mind. Such a historic moment for Rodon, for the White Sox, and for all of baseball, and for fans to be reliving these incredible moments so soon after one another. So let's get into some of the nitty-gritty of Rodon's performance before we talk about his journey. He struck out only seven hitters on 114 pitches. It was reminiscent of Alec Mills's no-hitter last season in the shortened 2020 And I've mentioned it before. I mentioned it on the Wednesday episode with Hunju Ryu. You don't have to be throwing over 100 miles per hour. You don't don't have to be striking out 13 pitters to be an effective pitcher. Rodon only struck out seven, but he did have the velocity. 
the craziest thing ever, one of the best parts about this entire story is that Rodon's average fastball velocity started out at the beginning of the game at 93 miles per hour. It ended at 96.5 miles per hour. The 110th pitch that Rodon threw was 98.8 miles per hour. In the ninth inning, first time he's ever gone into the ninth inning, that was the hardest pitch he's thrown since 2016. Literally unbelievable, and that brings me perfectly into just a synopsis of Rodon's career and what it took for him to get here and how much better this moment is because of what Rodon had to go through. So back in 2014, he was the third overall pick in the MLB draft. Such a high prospect, so many expectations, and injuries have just ravaged his career. He had shoulder surgery in 2017. He had Tommy John in 2019. So two major arm surgeries. I believe it's something along the lines of if he's the first pitcher to ever throw a no-hitter so soon removed after Tommy John surgery. So just the recovery period that he went to go from nothing. He quite literally considered not coming back to baseball because that hill was almost too much to overcome but he did it. He was also non-tendered by the White Sox this past offseason. They ended up bringing him back on a one-year deal worth $3 million. He's thrown just over 42 innings in the last two seasons. And then on April 14th, he made history throwing a no-hitter. Again, so close to a perfect game. It would have been the first perfect game since Felix Hernandez's in 2012 But really, what you have to think about is what it took for Rodon to get here and how incredible his performance was. I mean, talk about adrenaline throwing his fastest pitch since 2016 in the ninth inning. Absolutely incredible. And the journey is what makes it so, so cool. Another reason why Musgrove's no-hitter was so cool is because he came over to the Padres from the Pirates where he's been, he's had a disappointing few seasons. He went from Houston to Pittsburgh in the Garrett Cole trade, and then from Pittsburgh to San Diego in this major offseason by the Padres to try and bolster their rotation. But he is a hometown kid. Grew up in San Diego, and then in just his second start with this team through a new hitter. So, so, so cool. Now let's move on to the second guy I want to talk about, Zach Collins. That that name might not pop off the page, but he is now in the history books because he caught Carlos Rodon's no-hitter just a few days ago. Collins, another very high prospect who just didn't meet expectations for so many years. He was the former 10th overall pick in 2016. He waited three years to get to the majors, though, and even when he did two seasons ago, He was on the bench last year behind Yasmani Grandal, who the White Sox brought on, also James McCann. He was optioned to the minors halfway through the year. McCann went over to the Mets this past offseason, so now he is the primary backup to Yasmani Grandal. Made only his 10th start behind the plate when he caught Carlos Rodon 
and now he is a part of history. It was so cool to watch and hear his words after the game saying this was one of the best things he's ever been a part of to be a part of this history. And it's just so cool for everybody involved. When I talk about this last guy, I'll end it with just my philosophy, but just a sneak peek. It's just giving players their chance. It's not writing them off after a few tough seasons. It's giving them time to develop because you never know what some of these baseball players can do. And the guy that epitomizes that the most, the Brewers ace, Corbin Burns. So let's start back at the beginning, where as a 24-year-old guy in 2019, Corbin Burns had one of the worst pitching performances not just in the history of the Brewers organization, but in the history of baseball. He finished 1-5 just two seasons ago with an 8-8-2 ERA, and he gave up 17 home runs in just 49 innings pitched. It's actually kind of insane that the Brewers even gave him 49 innings because he was so bad. Opponents hit 330 off of him. They slugged over 800 off of his fastball, or their OPS was over 800 off of his fastball. So what he did in 2020, he finished six in Cy Young voting. And now in 2021, he is one of the best pitchers in baseball. After three starts so far in 2021, his last start was on Wednesday this past week. He's now one and one. He's thrown 18 and a third innings. His ERA is 0.49. He's given up four hits in those 18 innings. One run, zero walks, and he has struck out 30 batters. His K-to-walk ratio is 47.6%. Quite literally, what Corbin Burns is doing has never been seen before. Opponents are hitting... 067 off of him to go those 18 in the third innings to not give up any walks and to strike out 30. He is literally the first pitcher to do that since 1906. Corbin Burns is on a historical tear and it makes it even more special that he's doing this. Not just that he is really putting a lot of hopes in Brewers fans for them to go out and win the Central, which I had predicted before the season even started, he's brought the Brewers to a 7-5 and record, but he is anchoring this starting rotation. So many hopes are on him now, and he has performed so well under the pressure. He is throwing his cutter more. He's throwing his slider more, two-pitch that he really developed after his fastball was just crushed every single at-bat back in 2019. Just to give a, a nod to this Brewers rotation, after Burns' outing on Wednesday, they have now had eight straight starts of at least five innings pitched and fewer than two runs allowed. That's from the Brewers Media Relations Department. The Brewers are really making a case for themselves, not only in the weak NL Central, but in this NL. If Woodruff, Burns, even Adrian Hauser... Devin Williams in the pen, Josh Hader in the pen. If this pitching staff can continue to pitch at the level that they're pitching at, they can make some noise. And I really wanted to spotlight Burns specifically because I really think that the best part about no-hitters is the story behind it, the person behind it. 
the best part about comeback stories is where the person was. Corbin Burns, back in 2019, had one of the worst seasons any pitcher has ever had in the history of Major League Baseball. And if he continues to pitch this way in 2021, he could have one of the best turnarounds that the league has ever seen. So that's why I, I say it now and I'll say it again and I'll just continue preaching it across all sports. Look what would have happened if we didn't give Drew Brees a chance. Look what happened if we had written Corbin Burns off two seasons ago. If Carlos Rodon had just given it up because he couldn't overcome those injuries. We wouldn't have his no-hitter for the White Sox. We wouldn't be seeing the absolute brilliance that Corbin Burns is on the mound right now. And I think we're going to see a lot of these other stories. Trey Mancini, Pat and I talk about him a lot. How inspiring his story is just to come back from stage three cancer and perform the way he is. It is really, really cool. And these players deserve a ton of credit. So that wraps up. I wanted to do some some comeback stories on this one as we walk off the week. I think a recurring segment we have will be a heat tracker and a cold tracker. And on this week week's heat tracker, I've talked about them a lot. The Boston Red Sox, they just did. I'm recording this Thursday afternoon. They just did drop... Game four of a four-game series against the Minnesota Twins. Max Kepler hit a walk-off bloop single in the bottom of the ninth. It ends the Boston's nine-game winning streak, but they are still currently atop of the AL East with a 9-4 and four record. If they had won on Thursday, it would have given them 10 wins. Only the Dodgers, the reigning World Series champions, got to 10 games sooner. And another team that we should be looking out for The San Francisco Giants, currently second in the NL West. They definitely don't stay there for too long, and it's still so early. We're two weeks in now. It's still so early to really get anything real out of these standings. But the Giants are 8-4. Their offense has been very, very good. Kevin Gosman has been just as advertised as he was last year. Johnny Cueto left with an injury in his last start, but he has otherwise been very solid. And their bullpens have been has been one of the best in the league. And it starts with Jake McGee. It seems like closers are just being built out of nothing. You saw it with Will Smith and Mark Melanson and now Jake McGee, who continues to produce over in San Francisco. So keep an eye on the Giants. And to the cold tracker... It is now time to start having worries about the New York Yankees. I am not putting a ton of stock in records, win-loss records yet, but the Yankees are 5-7. and seven. Jay Bruce has been absolutely abysmal. The pitching staff hasn't done enough behind Garrett Cole. You, we've, we've said it so many times. If these additions, if these pitching additions had worked out, New York took the most important gamble probably in their organization's history. They took the most calculated risk and it paid off to see an injured Corey Kluber come back, to see a Jamison Tyon, an injured Jamison Tyon come back and produce. So far, they have not, and Yankees fans are not happy. It seems like right now, if these guys continue pitching the way they have in their few starts so far this season, it wasn't worth it the risk, or the money. But pitching isn't the only thing that is a concern right now. The defense can make plays right now. Glaber Torres is inviting so many problems for his play at short. 
you thought Clint Frazier had a lock in left field. He's basically been platooning with Brett Gardner so far, who just won't go away. He continues to compete for playing time. Aaron Judge has been hitting very well. Giancarlo Stan has been healthy so far, knock on wood. Garrett Cole has been excellent. And even Gary Sanchez has had more offensive firepower than he did in all of last season combined. But there are some serious issues for the Yankees, and I honestly think it's accentuated because the Red Sox are playing so well. There's always a pendulum there. When the Yankees are playing well, the Red Sox feel worse. When the Red Sox are playing well, the Yankees feel worse. After Domingo Herman's last start last week, the Yankees optioned him. So there is not a very long leash for these players. Brian Cashman is known for this. He's not going to wait around and wait for these guys to right the ship. If they can't do it, they will find someone else who can. So it's time to start looking at the Yankees and seeing if they can turn things around. And the same can be said for the Houston Astros. After a really hot start when the offense came out screaming against the division rival Oakland A's, the Astros now sit at 6-6. Six and six. They have had a bunch of COVID issues, so they had five very regular starters placed on the COVID list, including... Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, and Jordan Alvarez. Those are some serious guys to miss. But other teams are struggling with that too. The Nationals are finally seeing their full roster after Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber, among others, are finally being reinstated after their bout with either COVID symptoms and COVID itself or just being contract traced. But the pitching staff has really been the problem in Houston, even more so than the hitting. You expect the offense to go down without those three sluggers. Zach Greinke hasn't been his normal self, even though he's out there throwing 51 miles per hour off of the mound. Lance McCullough Jr.'s hasn't been great after signing that huge extension. And Jake Odorizzi did not have a good debut in Houston. So those pitchers and that bullpen is going to have to step up if the Astros want to really clamp down on the NL West. So those are the cold teams that need to switch things around. And now I will finish up with our series to watch for this upcoming week. I'll just recap the series that both Pat and I spotlighted for last week. Pat mentioned the Angels and the Blue Jays. It wasn't as great of a series as either of us had hoped. The Angels took the first two and then they got absolutely stomped by the Blue Jays 15-1 to last weekend. The Blue Jays' offense is starting to come along, which is great to see. Bull Bichette actually had a walk-off home run against the Yankees two days ago, which was cool. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been pitching very well. Hanju Ryu is one of the best pitchers in the league right now. And then I mentioned the Red Sox in the Twins series. I thought that was a really important measuring stick for the Red Sox because it's great to hit hit and play really well against the Orioles and the Rays who aren't as good as they were last year but the Twins are going to be a legitimate team and they looked very good against Kenta Maeda and Jose Barrios who are two of the best pitchers not only in the AL but the entire league. Alex Verdugo came alive which is great to see both offensively and defensively and I mentioned the walk-off hit that Max Kepler had in game four to end the Red Sox's nine game winning streak. But that brings me right into the series I am going to be very excited about this week, and it's the Red Sox versus the White Sox for the same exact reasons. It'll be at Fenway Park. The White Sox are trending down. 
Their starting pitchers have not been as good as hoped. Their offense hasn't really come alive yet. Tim Anderson was acted uh, reinstated off of the IL on Thursday. So I think having him back in the lineup will be huge for this young team. But they are really struggling to find their identity so far. And it'll be important for them to go up against this screaming hot Red Sox team and see if they can pitch and hit. And same things for the Red Sox. Can they keep up this momentum even though they lost the winning streak? Can Matt Barnes continue to be dominant in the closer role? Can these starting pitchers continue to be dominant? And can this offense continue to put runs up on the board at the rate that they've been doing so far. I had two honorable mention series, the Rays versus the Yankees. Both of these teams sit at five and seven on Thursday afternoon, a huge division series. The Yankees just went up against the Blue Jays, but coming up against the Rays, the reigning AL East champions and the AL champions back in 2020. This will be a very good time for the pitching to look better for the Yankees and for the offense to finally get going. And then also the Phillies and the Cardinals matchup this week. Both of those teams are at 6 and 6. I mentioned the Phillies as being one of the hottest teams in the league in week 1 and they have cooled off a lot since. The pitching has still looked pretty good. It's the offense that has been slow. And then the Cardinals, kind of a similar thing. I thought the pitching would be the main problem, but they have struggled getting runs on the board, even with their big-time addition this offseason, Nolan Arenado. So those will be the three really exciting series. I think once we get into week three, we can start putting some serious stock into these records and we're 7% done with the 2021 season so far. I think once we hit the 10% marker, we get into week three, we can start. We can stop saying, oh, it's way too early to really say anything. And we can start looking at these numbers, seeing these hot streaks and these cold streaks, and really starting to glean something from them. So that'll wrap up the second episode of the weekly walk-off. I just walked off your week for you. There's my bat flip. As always, make sure to subscribe to the Did You Hear podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Did You Hear Pod. And make sure to listen to the episode Setting the Tone MLB Standouts that we dropped this past Wednesday. So everybody have a great week and weekend, and we'll see you next Wednesday for your regular episode of Did You Hear?